Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You wake up in the morning, and then what happens? <laughs> oh, put your headphones on, Peter. Uh, uh. Oh, yeah. Come on, put your arms around. <laughs> I want to hug you and hug you and hug you some more right through all these microphone cables. <laughs> Go ahead. I know I'm in the right time, in the right space. Do you feel that? I'm Helga Davis. I had the great honor of working with Jennifer Coe on the 25th anniversary remount of Philip Glass and Robert Wilson's Einstein on the Beach. We shared a stage off and on for three and a half years, and I realized that I hadn't ever really had a chance to just sit down and talk with her. She's a very private person, and I know that role. I know that role meant that she had to take care of herself in a particular way because we were all taking care of ourselves in very particular ways. So I didn't get to see her a lot. But the thing that I do know and I remember is that we were all elevated by her playing. All of our performances became extraordinary performances in the presence of her bow. We didn't sing like that normally. We didn't dance that way. We didn't speak that way. And what I felt was that there was a very particular kind of listening going on, listening beyond the ears, beyond the heart. It was skin and bone and marrow kind of listening. And I look forward every night to touching it, to being in such close proximity to so much magic. I welcome... Jennifer Coe to the studio to just sit down and have a conversation with me about her playing, about her life, about her growing up, about her relationship to this thing that she does that is her life, that destroys her body, that makes music and joy and togetherness all over the world. This is Jennifer Coe. You were injured a lot during Einstein? I was injured the entire run. I would just get so dis- physically destroyed. From from playing? From that well, <laughs> score in particular? Or I you- think it, was, it started in Ann Arbor uh, when we were doing that extensive rehearsal period. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was after the first day, which was like 14 hours. You know, we yeah. were just running so long. So I ended up with one of the most severe neck injuries, and I couldn't, I couldn't even hold my head up. So the only way I could function was, uh, like, lying in bed, and I was still in pain, and I couldn't move. But I couldn't, like, uh, be vertical at all. Um, so you hid that? I mean... You did. I had no idea. I think it was very challenging because that was our first extensive rehearsal period. And 
I basically figure everyone is going through their own things. So I'm not going to put my stuff on other performers. And in general, I kind of function like that. Also, I'm incredibly private. I mean, I did have to get um, extensive physical therapy. therapy. I mean, because I couldn't leave the hotel room because I couldn't get... I couldn't lift my body up so because I couldn't hold my neck on my shoulders. You know, I couldn't be vertical at all. And I literally just had to be, like, supine. I came home from that first Ann Arbor thing. Mm -hmm. And I went to my rolfer friend. And she looked at me, and my body was a perfect Z. <laughs> and she said, Helgeli, what the fuck kind of show are you doing? And then I showed her all it's the really things that, that we Physically that demanding. we were doing. Yeah. And so so it's interesting that you say the thing about your neck because also my neck, my head was in a different place than my neck. Mm. And as you know, you just you go back and you you keep compensating. So the feet go out. Everything goes. And then everything starts to compensate on top of that, in, including us, right? Because I, I am uh, like you. I don't complain about things. I don't tell people things. I don't. I don't share. But I felt like everybody is trying to do everything they can. And everybody's part of this larger organism, including me, which was the reason I wanted to do Einstein because, you know, so much of what I do is so, solo stuff. So, which, you know, by definition means alone. I, what I loved about Einstein was it was so clear. Like, there were just as many people backstage running the stage as there were on stage. And there were still numerous people on stage. And I loved that part of it because everything uh, became so defined that, you know, I was just a small part of a whole organism. So when I had, you know, my injuries, physical injuries um, in Einstein, I didn't really talk about it because I knew everybody was going through their things. You know, the dancers were constantly dealing with their own injuries. Mm -hmm. You know, the singers were constantly um, dealing with their own things. So... You guys um, were constant. I mean, everybody was going through this process because it's. I mean, that's part of what I love. I cherish about the memory of my experience at Einstein because, you know, it was so demanding on everybody, and everybody, you know, whatever personal process they would have to go through to get there, everybody dedicated themselves in that way. And there's something so beautiful about that. I think it was also like because you. You know, for me, in in the Einstein character, I had to be completely still. Right. And then suddenly it's like, play presto for an hour, <laughs> you know, with the same three pitches. And you can't change position. Mm -hmm. You're not changing speed. So physically, you know, just in terms of arms and everything, it's very, um, it's very demanding. It's demanding in a different way than, I don't know, playing Sibelius Concerto, right? Um, but it's... It's very physically demanding in a very specific way. So I, I was I learned after that rehearsal run in Ann Arbor that I had to be incredibly uh, conscious of of um, putting in place everything that I would physically need. Um, 
I, in order to do the performances. I I feel too, and you know, I've said this to you before, and I've had other occasions on which to say it, but I do feel that you you bring a thing to that music that that's really important for us as humans. What I felt and feel when when I'm in the in your presence as a musician is that ev- everything and everyone gets lifted and elevated to a whole other thing that is beyond what's on a page, that's beyond, okay, I know I take 10 minutes to go from this entrance to that exit. And I loved living inside those moments with you and feeling your part of the organism influencing, encouraging, expanding my part of the organism. And that was just such an incredible thing uh, to be a part of with you. And it's part of, of why I wanted also to talk to you. Because I think I felt in the time that we were doing the show that there was no time to say that to you. First of all, that's so kind of you. And but it's, you know, I think that, again, we're going back to it's so demanding mm-hmm. that I think everybody was exhausted. Like, my ritual, like, when we were on our tour run, was I would just sleep almost all day, go to a rolfing appointment, and then show up, like, a couple hours before the show to warm up slowly and then do makeup. And then do the show, go to bed. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it was a very strict regimen. And I think we were all going through that. Um, especially if we weren't in our teens and 20s. (laughs) I was like, I don't understand how people are hooking up and doing all this stuff because, like, this is exhausting. I was like, I don't know where you're getting the energy to do this or the time. (laughs) But even even that part of it, and, and I can say this too, like, that show changed a lot of my relationships with people. Oh, interesting. Uh, because it's so physically demanding. And I think that no one understood, or or not everyone that I had hoped would understand, understood, that after four hours and 27 minutes, I know I don't want to call you. I don't want to Skype with you. I don't want to talk any more. more. <laughs> I can totally... Well, that's the other thing. I mean... I think as, first of all, to kind of reference back to what you were saying about the performances, I mean, I think I feel like the great thing about art is that, and when you're in the performing arts, it's about constant empathy, right? You're always listening um, and responding. Like, you have to be very open. So, you know, I think even in... Oh, God, I forgot the name. One of the knee plays where you are talking and it would be, I would hear you, right? And respond musically to the phrasing 
of your voice, of the phrasing, of, you know, of the speed, the tempo. And I mean, that's the beauty of performing arts because it's always evolving and it's a living organism that only exists in that moment. And, and we as performers respond to that. In order to be in this place, I think, um, to be so open in that way, to a, there's a lot of people on stage. Um, there are a lot of performers on stage. Of course, there are a lot of people in the hall. But, and you have to be very exposed and open um, to that energy, for, at least for me to do the kind of performance that I believe in and want to do. And it's exhausting. You know, I, I mean, aside from the actual physical performance that we're giving, um, being exposed emotionally in that way, I think, is very taxing. So you had swine flu, strep throat, <laughs> and pneumonia, and pneumonia all at the same time. Oh no! I had or, one time. I had pneumonia, bronchitis, and strep throat. Beautiful, the, and it was the holy, amazing. The holy trinity. But why do you think you were able? To still play? Why did you still show up at the concert hall? Well, first of all, I always want to fulfill my commitments because, you know, the classical music books out years in advance and they're counting on you. So th that's really important to me to just um, essentially I made a promise that I would be there and I want to keep that promise. But most of all, it's just, I don't know. There's something about making music and there's something about um, that kind of communication, which is so overwhelmingly, it's, it's like the essence of who everybody is. And I think there's something so amazing in that kind of communication, in that kind of emotion and that kind of nakedness and that kind of vulnerability. Um, and when you're really making music in that, in the way that I, you know, love making music, you know, um, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it in the world. That kind of ability to read, you know, if I make a metaphor, it's like you could just feel like the edge of somebody's hair and you're with, you're with them the entire time they're with you in that same way the entire time and it's it's kind of almost in in it's it's um i suppose it's like the shared empathy and the shared visceral communication um and i i think in you know in society i mean we we're talking about you know i'm a very private person and we were talking about you know literally talking about what's going in, on in one's life. And, and that's not something I do very often um, with people I don't know. But with music, it's the absolute essence of who you are and, and, and what of you're who feeling. You are and, and what you feel. Yeah, and the accumulation of everybody's personal experiences through their lives. And to be able to join with with that, with with other human beings and communicate and be one, essentially, in that way. And be one with the audience also. Because there's something about live performance 
in which it's really about being absolutely present. It's almost, it's this kind of incredible communal shared experience. Um, and, and there's nothing like it in the world. A couple of times in this conversation, you've talked about visceral language, yeah? And so I want to know the relationship between the visceral virtuosity and what eventually comes out in your playing. Um, I know what visceral means, but what does it mean for you inside of your practice and of your performance First of all, I, lo- I just love the word visceral. <laughs> but um, I think what I... Because? Well, I would say, like, be- in the... in I, re- I mean, sometimes when I've gone through difficult personal times, mm-hmm. uh, my friends, my friends were surprised that I would go back to work, that I just went back to work. Um, not surprised, but I, I remember like saying something like, it's such a relief because there's something about rehearsing and performing in which you have to be so totally present. Um, I think most of the time, at least in my life, in my, in my head, I'm usually worried about stuff that I should have done or should be doing or, you know, I'm th- you're always thinking, right? And you're always thinking, uh, I need to do this. I need to do the laundry. I need to, I should have done this. Uh, and, you know, um, so life is quite hectic in general. Um, and that, uh, and having the space to just be absolutely present with the music is, it's just a wonderful space to be in. Because you can't truly be, empathetic and and open and vulnerable if and and be able to you know almost conjoin with other musicians in a mental space if you're worried about your own if you're worried about other stuff um so you, everybody has to really bring themselves to a place where they're totally present so a lot of times we'll feel things more strongly on the inside and we think I don't know that we're maybe we're doing a huge we're pulling back a lot in time or that we're making a huge uh you know crescendo which is getting louder or a huge diminuendo and actually oftentimes um it'll be smaller than what you think it was right and so um also coming to that point where 99% of what you do is listening so when I guess when I use the word open, it it's that you're not paying attention to yourself so much. You're really most of your consciousness is is what everything sounds like around you, and and um, and just responding to that. So I think the reason you know we as performers we practice and we work and even do things like rehearsals is so that in that moment of live performance. Um, we can just be concentrated on what's important, which is is the communication. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say this process is healing in some way, cathartic, 
for you? Music? Yeah. Um, you know, you know how some people say like, oh, I just need to go on this one great vacation and I'm just going to focus on that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I started meditating, how the idea was that you can actually save that space for yourself every day, that it shouldn't just be that like once every five years I go on vacation and that's when I'll be happy. Um, so using the word catharsis feels very rare, you know, mm -hmm. and, but it's every day, you know, it's like, even like, I like the entire process. I like, you know, and I'm, and I do carry a lot of repertoire, but part of what I like about that is that there's always a point in time where I sound like crap. You know, even if you've done a, a performance at, you know, let's say a very prepared level of a piece you know really well. At the same time, I like that process of just starting to learn the notes of some other piece um, because you're in touch with every part of that process all the time. And I don't know if it's like the masochistic part of myself, but I, w I don't want to live on this plane where it's just um, – it's just about performing or thinking, oh, this is great. I'm great. We're all great. Do you, I don't maybe Yeah, but there's, there's also the fragility there. That's what I find in, in the beginning of learning the next thing. Yeah, and You're, you sound terrible. Yeah. Or I do, yeah, at least when I, do I start too. something. I do too. And But we're so fragile there. But the exciting part... Well, the first part, it's like, I'm like, yes, you do sound like, you know, I'll tell myself, you sound terrible. Um, but you know it's part of this larger process. So there's there's such a long, um, there's so many aspects to the process of preparation for performance. And so, yes, it starts out sounding just absolutely horrible. But there's also a part of me... And you have to be honest with yourself. Um, but there's also part of me that likes that stage for another reason, and not only keeping in touch with the fact that um, you're very human, right? That you don't always sound good. Like, it's possible to sound terrible, which happens every day for me. And um, But it's also when you're at that beginning stage, and sometimes the concept stage, and this for me is like the studying stage, where the possibilities are endless. It's just, they're, it's infinite. And there's something to me that's beautiful. Like when I get super excited about projects, it's oftentimes because that very first stage, like I'll have no idea, well, that's not true. I kind of have a general concept of what I want to do, but it's very exciting because it could be anything, right? And, and if you take all the steps, it may be very different than what you imagined it would be. It, it always, that's it, always part of it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to know what I'm going to do in five years. Like what I like about being in the arts is that I have no idea what I'm going to do in five years um, or 10 years. But I want it to be like that because if it was predictable, then it would mean that I'm not evolving or changing or thinking of, of something different at all. And um, so I, I really... I, I value that part. Um, 
but yeah, I like the beginning stages too, where everything because you have to admit that you're terrible at that point, and <laughs> but it keeps you like I feel like it keeps me grounded, you know. Mm-hmm. Did you ever um, want to have children or anything like that? Because, and the, here's why I'm asking this: in order to do what you do, in order for me to do what I do in the way that I do it or in the way that you do it, I don't feel, you know, I have a tree, right? I have a mm. tree in my apartment, and that's about all I can manage. I, I can water that tree, and I know that my coming and going will not adversely affect the tree. <laughs> I don't have a dog. I don't have a cat. I don't have anything else that needs or demands my presence in a particular way. And so I'm wondering if the same thing is true for you. I couldn't do both things. I know that there are people who do both things and do both things well, and those kids are going to be fine. But I never felt that I had that. And so I'm just asking you. I mean, I think from that place. When that subject had come up for me before, I was with a partner that wanted me to stop working. Um, and that was not something I was willing to do. So unfortunately, I was never in that situation um, where I felt like it was the right situation. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't either. I feel that when faced with the choice, uh, I chose myself. I don't know if it's that simple to say that you chose yourself because I I felt like art – I mean, I think for some people, like having kids is like their project in life, right? Mm-hmm. And we make stuff all the time, you know? And so in a way, our work is like our baby, Yeah, And that's our children, you know, what we, so that, that part of our lives, I think is quite fulfilled. It feels so obvious when you say it, but I hadn't thought about it in that way. Yeah. And I remember, you know, one of my closest uh, friends since I was like 11 years old, um, and she's still my closest, one of my closest friends. And she, she has two kids. And I remember she said, because I, I was going through that time of being like, well, should I? I? I don't know. And she's the one that said, Jenny, you know, always had this goal. <laughs> she was like, the rest of us, we might, you know, move to another city because our boyfriend is there. She was like, you would have never done that. (laughs) Which is, she's absolutely true. I mean, certainly not when I was in like college. Like you're not like, I felt like, well, these things are not serious right now. (laughs) I I would never do that. Um, And, you know, and she was like, so, and she was like, so everything, you know, a lot of times when we talk, I'm talking about like different ideas or projects I might have. I mean, of course, we talk about personal stuff. And she was like, the happiest you are is when you're talking about how you're going to put together this next project. Mm-hmm. And she was like, 
And every time this other subject comes up, you're like, uh, should I, shouldn't I, you know, is this the right thing? Is this not the right thing? Is this possible? And she was like, trust me. Do you have any feeling about the the makeup of the American orchestra? What am I trying to ask you? I'm trying to ask you if you if you feel that you were still part of some continuum of Asian American women who are trying to knock down the doors of of uh, discrimination in the orchestra. <laughs> yeah, you know, you well, wrote that question. Let me put it this way. <laughs> put, I it, think, put it a better um, way. I, I've been told in 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 from orchestra members and from concertmasters and stuff that my nickname is the trifecta, um, plus one. And they were like, and they said, you know, we have respect for you because we know that you weren't wanted in this business, hmm. right? Because you're female, you're American you're Asian, and then the plus one is, and you don't sleep your way there. <laughs> we can, like, leave that part out. No, we can't leave that out <laughs> at all. Because, honestly, People, I've, never, know that. I've never mixed those. Um, I've never mixed that into mm-hmm. anything that I do. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's funny because orchestras can see that, mm-hmm. you know, because they see the interactions very closely. They see it in rehearsals. They see, you know, and... Um, and I've been very, very fortunate um, because there have been people in the business um, that have, of course, helped me. And they're people that I love very dearly um, and very loyal to still. And um, But it's not an easy path. The reason I think this is a crucial and possibly exciting time is because it's we have an opportunity to have our orchestras reflect our communities and have relevance to the communities and cities that we work in. And if we don't actually show that kind of diversity on stage, if we don't support that kind of diversity, um, we're just an old museum piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether that's in the form of doing new music um, and and performing music that actually is an extension and a mirror of our society and culture, contemporary culture, or whether it's the fact that it doesn't, we don't look like any city that we exist in. Um, I think it's problematic because we will lose our, you know, our place Mm -hmm. in culture. And it's like, I feel in some ways like classical music hasn't been friends with contemporary culture for so long. So, you know, they started blind auditions in the U.S. um, as, you know, an act of feminism, right? Mm -hmm. And there was even a point where they told women not to wear heels because people could tell when they were walking into those blind auditions if it was a woman from the sound of their shoes. So they were asked to, like, remove their shoes so it would actually really truly be blind. And that's when women started getting in to orchestras. And that's when people of color, that's when Asian Americans or Asians started getting into orchestras also. But that blind system 
only happened in the United States. Mm. I mean, it's amazing to me when I look at the New York Philharmonic, and it actually fills me with pride because <laughs> like, the entire string set, most of the string section is Asian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, there were a lot of people that that. Um, broke down those barriers in orchestras because then it's a matter of getting tenure and you are there. But there's no double blind. There's no blind for soloists. Mm -hmm. There's nothing blind for us, you know. So um, it's a different situation. Is there anything else you feel like you want to say about anything, really? Well, I guess for like referencing back, I think like the most important thing and I wish I had had this when I was younger. It's like trusting yourself as an artist. Like we're all individuals, you know, we're, we all have very unique perspectives. We have unique experiences. We have unique childhoods. And um, I think trusting ourselves and that individual voice, um, which everybody has, you know, because we all come from very different things and we have different personalities and different backgrounds. And and to come to a place where we can actually engage with who we are and our histories and realizing that our experiences um, are going to resonate because it's really about being a human being in the end, you know. Um, and and that our experiences are our internal lives um, because we're you know members of this human race of human beings um, if we speak in a very true and visceral way uh, people will relate to that I think you know being in the arts in a way yeah we, we do give up a lot right I, I feel like I dedicated my entire life to this art form and I spent a lot of hours of every single day and I don't really take time off. Um, it's not like on the weekends we have off. I mean, even though, I mean, yeah, we don't perform usually on Monday nights, although I have done that, but, um, you know, you still practice, you're still doing everything else. And, um, I remember somebody said to me, oh, if you were, if, if you worked this hard as like an investment banker, it's like just the pure number of hours. Um, they were like, you would be like a millionaire or something. And, <laughs> but we don't care about that. No. I mean, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe we should care more about it. Cause sometimes I feel like what we do should, should be valued in some way in society. Um, uh, Cause what we do is work. Right? It is. And I do think that, musicians and artists should be compensated for that work uh so um you know it might not look like the same thing it's not like we're walking into necessarily like an office from nine to five or something every day but um i basically work all the time i was leaving my apartment the other day and one of my neighbors on sunday actually and one of my neighbors said to me where are you going i said i'm going to work and he said, "Oh, I thought you were. I thought you were a musician. <laughs> <laughs> you have an actual job." <laughs> <laughs> and 
and it took all of me. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, it is work. (laughs) You know, quiet as it's kept, it is work. You have a great day. (laughs) And I edited out all of the other (laughs) expletives that were happening in your head. (laughs) I do that a lot. Although lately I've just been like swearing all the time. My violist got really upset at me because she brought her kids to a rehearsal. And I was just like, and I was cursing. I was like, fucking goddamn shit. And she was like, Jenny, kids are there. And I was like, sorry, fuck, sorry. Don't say what Aunt Jenny said. First or last thing I want to do is say thank you for coming in and thank you for for talking. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. It's really nice to sit down and have a moment to look at you really this closely in the eyes and and just ask you about yourself uh, to scratch a little bit the surface of the monster that you are. (laughs) Such a monster. For all the singing that I do, for all the theater that I do, for all the rehearsing that I do, for all the practicing that I do, of scales, of walking, of knowing where my body is in space, for all the work that I do in the gym to stay in shape so that I can show up and do my work in a way that's free and new, that gives me availability to my body, to my mind, and to my spirit. I feel like none of it compares to what Jenny Co is doing in the world with her body, with her music, with her instrument. It's so great to sit down and talk with her. It was so great to share a stage with her. And today, I feel like I got a little bit closer to the person Jenny Co. Whether or not you've heard Jenny, perhaps there's something in this conversation that has inspired you has inspired your creativity, has inspired some other way of thinking about who you are and how you do what you do in the world. You can always email me at helga at wqxr.org or follow me on Facebook. This episode of Helga was produced by Julia Alsop and executive producer Alex Ambrose. It was mixed by Curtis McDonald with help from Hannes Brown and original music by Alex Overington. Special thanks to Cindy Kim, Lorraine Maddox, Michael Alcesser, Jacqueline Sincata, and John Chow.